So we are back with the La Liga side of the team of the year. Now, I told Rian before we hopped on, um, I guess a couple days ago, I think maybe it was last night or something. I told you, I was like, you're, I think you're really going to, you're going to have some things to say about my list. Cause I don't think you're going to be expecting some of these. Um, and I think that you're going to be pleasantly surprised at some choices. Um, and you're going to be floored at some others. So, I don't know. I'm I'm very curious to see what your take is on uh, on the specific ones that I shout out. But I guess we should, should start with the goalkeepers, right? So we'll start with the uh, the back line. Rion, I know your infatuation with with O Black is real. Um, if you if you had to choose a, a, a goalkeeper in Spain for your team of the year, who would that be? Well, like like you said, I think my obvious choice would be All Black, but you know, as as much as it kind of pains me to also throw into who else I would have considered, pains me deeply to say I would have also probably considered Thibaut Courtois, unfortunately. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think those would have been my two main choices, just because he he it did get better for him this season. Okay, he had a, it. Did it got better for him this season, um, and you know he he was the difference in in at least a handful of their games. So unfortunately, yeah, he would be he would have been maybe my second choice. But obviously, I, you know, to, I know how much you love Tersega too. I, I think Tersega is a great keeper too. But um, it, it would have been between those three, which maybe seems super obvious. But um, I, I think Courtois would have been my second choice for this for this particular season. That's very very fair. Um, you said your second choice, second choice to to right. uh, Jan Oblak. Right. Okay. So I think that's fair. Um, I think Courtois actually has had a very good season. Um, for me personally, I would put him third. Um, and that might, may be a little bit of bias. I'm not going to lie. Um, I think that he has had a great season, but I think that the defense of Real Madrid has compensated for the, a lack of shots that he's necessarily had to handle, even though I will say his goals allowed per 90 is the lowest, I believe, in La Liga um, at 0.67. So, okay, let's focus on, I guess the best goalkeeper in my opinion in La Liga. Ter Stegen for me is one of the best goalkeepers in the world, if not the best goalkeeper in the world. He has had an incredible season already um, bailing out Barcelona as he did last season. I think last season for me was the undisputed number one goalkeeper in the world. Rian for my team of the year for goalkeeper, I'm going with Jan Oblak. Yeah, I'm caving and I will say that Jan Oblak should be, the number one goalkeeper in Spain this season, not just because he is one of the best goalkeepers in the world and his goals per 90 is near Courtois this season, but I want to highlight his performance against Liverpool for one key reason. The saves that he made on a just world-class level while, um, while at Anfield is what he does on a weekly, weekly basis in Spain. And a lot of people don't get to see that. And I'm not saying Ter Stegen, Courtois don't do that. But Oblak's consistency is 
unbelievable. It's up there with Allison and of course they're shaking as well. But for me has been the best this past season. He has parried shots that genuinely I never thought could be saved by any goalkeeper. And I think Oblak deserves the credit handedly for the season that he has had. He's had 21 goals conceded um, the entire season, which is only second to Real Madrid and Courtois. Um, but he's also had the the third best clean sheet percentage in La Liga. Hetafe, um, Hetafe's, uh, excuse me, David, I think it's David Soria, um, has only slightly better clean sheet, 12 versus 11, um, who's also had a great season with Hetafe, and they overall have. But Jan Oblak individually is by far one of the best, if not the best goalkeeper in the world right now. And I have to hand it to him. He is certainly proved it week in, week out. So Jan Oblak is uh is my pick. Is that is that surprising to you at all? Not not super surprising. I, like I said, I think I think Courtois would have been my second choice. Um I you know he he I you know to to be able like you said, he's his first in goal allowed per ninety. His save percentage is also first is uh sorry fourth in the league for, for Courtois. Um, and looking at a team that was, uh, you know, again, up until very recently, they were leading the league for the, uh, in terms of points um, for the, for La Liga, but also, you know, fewest goals allowed as well too. So I, 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 I'm good with old block choice because like I said, I think, I think, you know, again, in the argument for best keeper in the world, um, one of the three best keepers in the world for sure. So I, I think I'm okay with with the O block pick. I'm I'm definitely okay with the O block pick. I, I um, yeah, I'm I'm cool with anything that didn't have Courtois as the actual uh, final <laughs> choice. <laughs> so no, I think I think we can both agree that that was never actually going to be the case. So I wasn't worried about that. But yeah, Jan Oblak for me has been the best goalkeeper in Spain this season. Ter Stegen has been second. Um, but very, very close to that point. Both of them, I would be grateful if, I, if they had, if I was able to choose them in a team. So I'm happy with either of them. But Oblak for me edges him out, um, just because of the individual contribution that he's had to Atletico um, this entire season. So Oblak for me, congratulations! You're uh, you're the new starting goalkeeper for the team of the year from the overlap. But we can go ahead and move on. And I know you did center backs after a goalkeeper, so. Let's let's start with the center backs then. Um, Rian, two center backs that have dominated the La Liga over the last what fifteen years almost, um, and PK and Sergio Ramos um, are still playing at you can argue maybe a declining level, but still at a semi elite level. Um, and a lot of people who don't necessarily watch La Liga might just choose them. Um, but I'm curious, do you choose PK and Ramos? Do you choose two other defenders? Do you choose one and another? I think so. You're right. You know, those are two, those are two like seminal players in terms of the history of the league. Um, I do think you have to throw some sort of love towards an Atletico Madrid um, center back. Uh, whether that be Jimenez or Savic, because even after everything, this is still, you know, 
I know service level. We all we all think because Godine left and because they don't have the same uh, backline as as their teams that were so you know imperious in the past defensively that. I know on the surface people probably think that their defending has gotten much worse, but that's just not been the case at, at all, really. Um, you're still talking about a team that's first in terms of expected goals allowed, um, a team that is first in terms of actual goals allowed, too. And and as we've said all season, the problem with them has not been their defending, You know, I guess similar to Manchester United, um, but even though I, I would probably <laughs> take... Atletico Madrid's um, ability ability to defend over United's, but um, the, the problem with them had, had been scoring goals. You know that they, they have one of the worst goal scoring records in, uh, or one of the most mediocre goal scoring records in in the league. Um, definitely the worst out of that top six. So uh, I, I think perhaps a Jimenez or Savic, either either one of them, I think would have would have been a. I think a uh, pretty good choice in that position too. Um, I wonder, did you think about anyone from Hitafe? I did. I genuinely thought about the, the three teams, I guess that I looked at or four um, Barcelona, Real Madrid, Atletico and Hitafe. I didn't really look at necessarily other teams for center backs. Cause I don't think that any of them would have been better than the four teams. Um, and Hetafe have had a great defensive season, but I don't know if their center back pairing has the consistency that the top three teams do in their center backs. I, I, their their playing style is very consistent, but their performances I don't think necessarily always are because their playing style is very rough. It's very um, physical, and that works to a degree, but I don't value that as much as I do well-oiled technical um, dynamic player. And so I guess for, for those reasons, I actually went with no Atletico players, um, but I went with PK and Varane and uh, two players who obviously have dominated the game, um, especially recently. Um, but I want to start with PK just because I think that he's found his footing a lot more with the exception of one or two moments um, this entire season, I will say um, the Bill Bow game in which he literally in Yaki Williams went sprinting by him um, in that game. And PK was on the floor dragging him down by his shirt or his shorts. It was a really weird picture. Yeah, that, um, I do remember that image. <laughs> that, was very, that was pretty funny. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about, but I think that he himself overall has had a very consistent season. He's led the back line in what has been a relatively shaky Barcelona defense um, since the start of the season. But his individual clearances, contribution, positioning, all of it has been reminiscent of the PK that I saw when he was paired with Puyol like eight years ago. It felt very, very much like that to the point where he was stepping up into a mold and showing his performances in his level rather than just talking it through. Um, and I think he did a great job this entire season, um, if this is the full season, um, carrying that load in the back line. I don't know if Longley has had the best season, quite frankly, um, even though I do certainly rate him. But PK has stepped up after a season the year before this where he really did not look great. He did not know if he was sure of himself. His confidence was lacking. I wasn't a fan of those performances, but he has 
completely changed that around this season. Um, and I, I'm very, very pleased to see that. So that's why I chose PK and Varan is, is an interesting choice because I actually don't think he's had the most amazing season, but what he has offered is again, that level of consistency for Real Madrid and being able to parry attacking threats. And that shows purely based on the amount of goals that they've conceded. Their attack has not been stellar. So it's not like their attack is compensating for a lack of a defensive structure. It's solely because there are individual players that are stepping up into that mold that are able to stop those attacks, even though Real Madrid aren't in first, they're still in second. They're not having a very good La Liga campaign, but that's because quite frankly, their forwards can't score. Um, I think Varane has stepped up into the conversation of being a top 10 center back in the world. And I think people are starting to rate him as that. But if you watch him week in, week out, he is so fast and so good on the ball. I think he absolutely deserves to be in the team of the year um, this season. With And I think a lot of people might disagree with, um, with that choice just because Atletico and their defensive line have had arguably a better year. So those are my two picks. I, I like that. Um, I, I know we were talking before very recent, I mean, before Barcelona overtook Real Madrid, that I think what we both saw was that the first thing that was kind of solidifying in terms of their team was their defending, right? So I think it's, I think Varane... As now the guy who who's going to be taking kind of pa- taking the torch from um, from Ramos as, as he kind of you know uh, ends his career with with Real Madrid within the next couple of years, like this is the this is the guy that they're going to be building their defense around, which is Varane. So and and their defending has been good this season. So I think he need he deserves that praise too. And um, I I think. PK is an interesting choice be, because, you know, first half of the season, I, I don't think we you you would have probably put him in, right? I don't think you would have put yeah. him in your team of the year in, at the beginning of December, right? So, no, um, God, no, <laughs> yeah. So, but but again, it, Barcelona has the la the the weeks before the season was suspended, we saw. What seemed like they were starting to gain some sort of cohesion as a team, right? And, and their backline was obviously a part of that. I think the most important thing was what was going on up front, right? But, um, but I think you have a point there in terms of how PK has been able to kind of, I don't want to say hold the hand of Longley, but like, but <laughs> you know, but but he's the guy who's who's organizing the defensive line, and and a big reason in terms of why they've they kind of started to figure it out um in the weeks leading up to the suspension of the season and even with all that being said they're still third in expected goals allowed behind um the two Madrid clubs but this is still this still is a very good defending team in terms of through the middle so he, he I think deserves some of uh he deserves some praise there for sure oh absolutely absolutely and i think that being able to step up and show the back line exactly what performances are needed to win a league um, is the type of thing that we expected from PK years ago. And I don't know if it's 
necessarily around to stay. And I think at times it's kind of shined and, and gone out um, this level of leadership, but I hope that this sticks around and you can justify me putting you in my team of the year because I'm going to, I guess, spoiler alert, there are not many Barcelona players in, um, in my team of the year this season. So I will leave it at that. Um, I think Rian, you're going to enjoy my, my fullback, uh, choices even more. Um, we were (laughs) for context, Rian and I were on the phone last night. Um, and he told me you better be at least discussing Trippier, uh, like just Trippier, Trippier. How do you actually say it? Cause I say Trippier. I don't know. That's, I thought about that last night too. I'm going to be completely honest. I thought <laughs> about how, what is the actual way to say his name? Um, the English, the English commentators say Trippier. Right. Um, but I mean, I guess he might be, I guess the only way that it could be like that is if, his last name is French. So, and I, and I would assume they know better than I do whether his or his familiar <laughs> origins are, are uh, French or not. But yeah, it, uh, I, I don't know. I kind of go between both pronunciations, but uh, until I figure out whether he's actually French or not, I'm going to say Trippier. Okay. All right. I will say Trippier just because the commentators do, and I don't know better than them. Um, but I will discuss Trippier. Um, Trippier has had a fantastic start to his, his Spain career. Um, when I saw this signing, Rian, when we first started the podcast, one of the first signings that was announced was Kieran Trippier to Atletico Madrid. And I said to you at that moment, I said, I think this is going to be a great signing because I think he fits in perfectly with uh, Simeone's structure. And lo and behold, that is exactly what has happened. He is someone who runs up and down like no other. His attacking profile fits Simeone perfectly because he stays out wide, because he runs back to track back and defend when he needs to, and because his crossing ability, whether it's on the ground or in the air, is world-class, quite frankly. And all those qualities combined have proven to be a great, great fit for this team. And I think he's shined so well with the the number of assists um, as well as his contribution to the, the attacking play, Um, especially at times when this Atletico team has absolutely struggled to score. He's still been the one providing the chances to the players that cannot score. Um, And I think he's had an outstanding season. The other player in his same position that has had um, an outstanding season is Jesus Navas, a a name that a lot of Manchester City fans will obviously be very familiar with. Um, A player that was a real blast, a real blast from the past too. Oh yeah, absolutely. A guy guy who was integral in in um, the Pellegrini uh, Premier League win in the season that Liverpool, you know basically slipped and threw away the title but but he was a he was wow he, he really I mean, had to <laughs> I mean, it was the same season so so I yeah know. a player a player who was who was integral in that part and then goes back to spain and do you don't hear i mean if you're if you're a premier league fan you don't hear much about him from then but um it's interesting to see that he's he's kind of shifted back to a a fullback position which is i mean i'm sure you'll you'll get into a little bit more but uh, that, i found that really fascinating yeah, he was okay. So this is one of the things that I, I value a lot about Jesus Navas. His pace going forward um, is really, really key to his contribution. And 
when he was a winger, he had all those qualities. That's why he was a successful winger. But he converted into a right back when Pep Guardiola needed him to fill in, and he's essentially stayed there ever since. So he's a right back now back at Sevilla, and he's certainly much more of an attacking right back than he is a defending one. And the reason why I say that is because the person that he learned from when his, he was first at Sevilla before he went to City was Danny Alves. And Danny Alves was essentially, or he was essentially the backup to Danny Alves while they were both coming up. And that, I think, has allowed him to fit into this role so well from the right wing position because he was able to pick up a lot of those elements from his earlier playing days under who was you know, arguably one of the greatest right backs of all time. And so Jesus Navas this season has stepped up into the mold of being a very, very creative attacking player for Sevilla. And he has contributed so much more than pretty much most of their midfield, I would I would argue. Um, and he's probably playing some of the best football of his own personal career at the ripe age of, I think he's 32 now. And so in my choice for right back of the year in La Liga, Rian, I went with Jesus Navas. I'm sorry. I had to go with Jesus Navas. For someone that is a converted winger and is essentially playing out the last peak days of his playing career by moving closer to goal. Um, like, I mean, positionally closer to goal as, as a right back, but still able to absolutely sprint up the pitch and, and provide assists and provide key chances um, is incredible. And I think he is the epitome of that modern fullback that you talked about with Trent Alexander Arnold, right? He's fast, he's direct, full of energy and more important, you know, he's more important, uh, more known for his attacking qualities is what I mean. That is defensing defensive qualities, which is pretty much what Trent Alexander Arnold is. And I think he's embodied that so well at Sevilla, um, especially for a team that's been under a lot of pressure this season. And for me, easily the best right back in Spain. So Jesus Navas is my choice for right back. I mean, I, I do love, I will say this. I love the fact that, you know, as Navas has gotten older, you know, the thing that is still with him is his pace. Right. And, and he's actually, the game has kind of shifted towards a direction that allows him to kind of elongate his career because like you said very modern fullback in the sense that the very modern fullback is not necessarily one that we're looking at and thinking okay is he going to be able to cover the winger that that is playing across from him because and the reason i think that that is not as essential anymore too is because the fact that a lot of wingers are now like inverted wingers, right? Like a guy playing on yeah. the right is usually left footed and, and the same on the, on the left, on the left side, a guy usually right footed. So those guys are coming inside anyway. So a lot of the time the opposing full, the fullbacks are actually having to just cover the other fullback, right? Who's, who's, who's making those runs forward and overlapping and stuff. So the defending is not as the one-on-one defending isn't quite as important in terms of playing against, in terms of being able to defend another winger. So it's really interesting, interesting to see how he can still be effective at his age. And with uh, not, not saying that he, that he's completely one dimensional, but it's like the, the, the one quality of him that is 
that is still there and is going to be there longer than most is his speed and that and that has helped him be able to keep playing um he might not he might not be that great of an actual winger if you played him there now but it, in his position is you know he's coming up when he has the ball he's going against fullbacks he's going against guys who are who are yeah. now who now because of how the game has changed are no longer as um adept at, at being able to actually play one-on-one against, you know, real wingers because those don't really, ex- those aren't as popular anymore. So he causes a lot of problems for defenders. And I, I think that's a very interesting choice. I would question. Here we go. Why, so what about his teammate on the other side, Mr. Sergio Regulon, um, who's also had a great season, as a fullback for them. Uh, he's much younger than, than his novice, but um, I, I would like to, I'd like to hear your thoughts on, on that type of player. No, that's, that's absolutely fair. Um, I think he has, a, he has absolutely had a great season, which is exactly why I chose him for left back of the season. <laughs> he is, he is my choice for the other fullback. I chose the, the Sevilla pairing because one of the most interesting things about, this system under Lopetegui is that the fullbacks are the integral part in this. And I think that shows, and I think one of the best statistics for both of them is that, well, Jesus Navas has attempted more pass than any other fullback in La Liga. Um, he's somewhere in like for all players, like 21st, I think something like that. And Regulon is really not that far behind. He's 41st out of every player in La Liga. That's attackers, midfield, whatever. Um, and that just shows the attacking contribution of both of these players. I think Regulon, the one area that I think gives him an edge over Jesus Navas, if you're comparing them one-to-one, is his defensive capabilities. I think because of his youth especially, he has more energy to get back uh, behind the ball. But they offer pretty much the same exact kind of characteristics. They're very, very direct. They're very, very you know focused on getting to goal and getting into those wider areas and playing the ball in. And I think that's exactly how Sevilla have scored and benefited most. Like if you look at the first goal from the Atletico Madrid game that we that we talked about a couple of weeks ago, uh, where Sevilla played Atleti, um, how did Luke De Jong score? Right, it was a ball in from a wide spot, and the penalty also um, was Ocampos coming in from a wide spot after being played on uh, played the ball from Regulon. So they are integral in their team's success. And these two uh, for the fullback pairing is exactly who I'm going with because I think without them, Sevilla are nowhere near the conversation of being in a European spot. I want it to be known that was not a setup. I did not know not that yet. he actually had. <laughs> I did not actually know that he had Regulon as his left back. So that was actually just more of a yeah, two great minds think alike. But yeah, but, I was going to uh, say I was when you started going through. Like, well, what about the the left backs? But I was like, oh my god, he's gonna just he's gonna steal my explanation, and that's it. Because <laughs> I was like, all right, well, you got it. Yeah, that's that's who I picked because I hundred percent agree with you. <laughs> um. So so okay. Last question on it, Danny Carvajal. What what was ultimately your your decision um to leave him out? Yeah. So this one, it, it actually wasn't a, much more difficult than they're more difficult than you'd expect it. I think because he's been relatively inconsistent kind of in and out of the 
team per se, um, both due to injury and, you know, yeah, pretty much due to injury. But Danny Carvajal hasn't contributed as much to the Real Madrid attack, um, say, as, you know, Ferland Mendy has. I think Mendy was the other potential choice for me for left back. Um, but Danny Carvajal compared to Jesus Navas, um, I think Danny Carvajal's contribution has been less so. Um, I think he has had really good seasons in the past, but this season, his his contribution to key passes, contribution to goals, um, has kind of dwindled a little bit, especially in a time where Zidane has almost scaled back and tried to rely on crosses into the box, essentially, to, to get his attackers uh, as of late to try to get shots on goal. Um, Danny Carvajal has not necessarily supplied that. Um, and I don't think he's been the key catalyst in defending the goal. I, I think he's somewhat, he's okay at it um, in a wide position, but I don't think he can necessarily keep up with a lot of the fast-paced wingers in La Liga right now, and I think the season has kind of showed that. So yeah, it, it was it was actually relatively clear to me that I was going with either Jesus Navas or Kieran Trippier. All right, I like it. I like it. So the fullbacks for you were Sergio Regulon and Jesus Navas, and your goalkeeper, um, Yano Block. Correct. Exactly. Exactly. So those are my those are my pairings for uh, the entire back line now. So I guess we can move into the midfield, Rian, a star-studded midfield, if you will. Um, this was this was very difficult. Um, cause I actually ended up choosing four midfielders and I, quite frankly, I don't know who to leave out in this. I, I, I'm curious to hear who your three might be, or even your top one, quite frankly. Um, and I have a feeling who that might be, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on this before I give mine. Yeah, of course. Of course. Um, I had to put, I had to put Martin Odegaard as one of I don't know if you if you classified him in in your midfielders or you put him higher up but I think Odegaard would have been one for me um and I mean that that's just partially a crush there but but he's but he's been fantastic for Sociedad like I mean Sociedad I, I think he now correct me if I'm wrong is there is there a sort of like young player of the year reward award for um for Spain there, yes, there. I think there's an award for like first season in Spain or something like that. Um, there, yeah, not like a rookie of the year type award, but like there is something like that. I, I genuinely forget what it's called. Actually, no, I should probably know that. Okay, yeah. So, so that's that's a that's a name for me. I'm. I have a feeling who one of your other guys might be just from how lovingly you've spoken about him throughout the season. So interesting. Is Santi Cazorla anywhere near your, <laughs> your team of the year? So that's a good question. Um, unfortunately, Santi Cazorla did not fall in my top three slash four um, this season. I think Santi was close. He was definitely in the, in the running, but and and Villarreal haven't had necessarily a, a bad season. Certainly much better than last season. But I still think that there are midfielders that are slightly better in performances now, not necessarily quality, um, but have shown better performances over the course of the season. 
So fair question, but Santi is not actually in my top my top midfielders. I will say Odegaard definitely is. Odegaard was actually the first name that I wrote down um, in my notes for who I want to put into this conversation, and I had to include him because he has had again another standout season, um, building off of his season last last year. Um, we have talked so much about his goal contribution and his assist contribution because he absolutely gives that in the, in the 10 spot that he plays in. But one of the best parts about his game is his ability to play between the lines. And I think that's an, like, I I think I say that a lot, but it's something that is so crucial if you're playing in the number 10 spot. And if you're planning on playing in the number 10 spot for Real Madrid at some point in your future, because if you're able to play through the lines and you have the creativity, the speed, and the energy to, to bypass that, then half your work is done. He, on top of that, has the vision to play, you know, players like Isak in on goal like like it's nothing, and it's genuinely amazing to watch. Like I, I've had joy watching a Real Madrid youth product um, this entire season, watching him play, and I think he is seriously not he's not even a, a player for the future. He's a player for right now to watch. So he is absolutely my, my top midfielders for the season. Oh, and, and that makes perfect sense. Yeah. He's sitting, he's sitting ninth in terms of who scores um, overall ratings for midfielders. He's eighth in terms of expected goals plus expected assists per 90. And he's still just 21 years old and he, he would slot do you think he would start for Real Madrid if we're talking about next season? If he came back next season, which I I don't believe that that has been settled yet. I I feel like the last thing that I read is that it's more likely than not he spends one more season with Sociedad. But um, do you think he'd be starting in the team next season if he were to go back? I've literally gone back and forth on this question so many times this year. And my short answer is it it depends and it depends almost solely on who Real Madrid keep and who they sell over the summer. If they let go of some of their aging players and some of their players that don't get as much time, then a hundred percent. Yes. I think he starts, but he also won't be coming back to Real Madrid next season. Most likely because it, he has a, a two year loan spell with Real Sociedad. So he has an extra year and, and Real Madrid can choose, um, or bring up the option for him to come back. But I don't think even he would want to do that just because he would probably continue um, getting more playing time at Sociedad than he would at Real Madrid next season. And it, even if you're looking at two years down the line, would he start at Real Madrid? I, I think the answer probably would be yes at that point because you would have less deadweight players in Real Madrid's midfield. Um, and I think you would have to start forming a midfield around a specific player. And I think that player is probably Martin Odegaard because they don't necessarily have a lot of other youth up and coming that they can look towards other than maybe Fede Valverde um, for the next several years. So uh, yeah, I think, I think he would start in 2021, not necessarily um, this next season. Okay. So I think we still have a couple more midfielders left in your thing. If I had to, I'm going to guess one more. Does has Tony Cruz made it into your team of the year? <laughs> Tony Cruz has absolutely made it into my midfield um, trio slash four of uh, of the year. He was actually uh, this isn't necessarily a bad thing. He was the the last name that I wrote down 
um, because I felt like there was still another midfielder that I could have slash should have included that would have been um, a disservice if I had not. So Tony Cruz is in my my midfielder of the season. He has been the gel that's had held Real Madrid's midfield together this entire year. When he has not been in the team, you see how much they are lacking in their contribution to the attack. Perfect example that I think was very visible, not necessarily a La Liga example, but the Champions League game against Manchester City, right? Tony Cruz left on the bench, did not play a single minute, no necessary reason, just, I guess, a tactical decision by Zidane. And they really struggled in getting chances going forward. I, I mean, there was a spell for like 15 minutes in the second half where they were able to, but that's Real Madrid. They will always have that. Over the course of the full 90 minutes, absolutely did not. And Tony Cruz turned that around entirely in the Classico in the next game. Tony Cruz came in and absolutely bossed that midfield. He has consistently been a top, top player uh, and midfielder in the world, not just at Real Madrid, with the exception of, I guess, this season after um, the World Cup, which really was not that great. Um, but Tony Cruz consistently has been the crown jewel in Real Madrid's midfield. And if you don't play him, you're losing out. He is the reason why they're able to get the ball to Vinicius, who evidently doesn't know how to shoot, and Benzema, who generally knows how to score. Um, yeah, I cannot say better things about uh, a player who for a team that uh, that plays for a team that I hate. So, yeah, Tony Kroos is there. Wow. And, I mean, that's, I, I think that's a great point in terms of the uh, Manchester City game. Uh, we, saw it, we, we saw that uh, basically once Manchester City got behind and realized that they needed to go score a goal, um, they overpowered uh, Real Madrid with their midfield talent in terms of the chances they were able to create. And Real Madrid could really never recover in that in that game. So, um, yeah, he, he was a big miss. And, and he still, you know, most of the season, he was one of the few guys who was there for um, – a lot of their games, you know, they they were missing players a lot of the season, especially in that midfield when you had to play a lot of games without Luka Modric with him, right? So that that obviously makes things tougher and puts a lot more pressure on him. And the guy, the guy is very good under pressure, as as I think we even saw in the uh, in as I always remember in the 2018 World Cup. I know Germany didn't make it out of the group stage, but he was still he was by far the best player on the team, and 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 looked like the guy that actually wanted the responsibility, especially, you know, you look back at that Switzerland game where he, he scores a free kick from, it's just a stupid angle to even try a shot from to, to <laughs> even keep, to keep Germany's chances of staying in the world cup. Right. So I, I think that's a, I think that's a great choice there too. And, and was that your th- final choice there or do you have it? So these are the other two players I was between um, Saul from Atletico Madrid and Nabil Fekir from Real Betis. Two players that I've had, in my opinion, outstanding seasons. But quite frankly, I I did not know who to choose between. Nabil Fekir has contributed highly to Betis's attack, um, especially considering how poorly they've done overall this season. And I think when they played Real Madrid a couple of weeks ago, you got a chance to see how important he was. He was the one always on the ball, controlling the pace of the game, controlling where the ball went, you know, where 
yeah, where it went, um, to which players, and of course the the lead up to the first goal that they scored um, was hilarious because he was fouled after making an incredible run. Um, the ball goes um, <laughs> off to Sydney uh, from Real Betis, uh, who scores an amazing goal. Um, and Nabil Fakir's, of course, reaction changes immediately, but he had essentially done all the work um, behind behind that uh, that goal. And I think that perfectly catalyzes almost exactly how the season has gone for him. He has been the same, uh, I guess, type of player for Betis as Tony Kroos has been for Real Madrid in terms of his, in terms of his impact and his importance. Um, because the rest of the team, while I think good, they are a good team and they have good players, they're struggling as a team and he is the shining light in the team that keeps them going forward. His contribution to the attack to get between players, his technical ability. I mean, you saw it, especially in, uh, when they played Barcelona, um, in Barcelona, he scored a wonderful goal, of course, but he was skipping past people. Like it was nobody's business. And he did that for almost the full 90 minutes. I think he went off early, but yeah, that has been essentially the theme for the last five to six months. Um, and after such a horrific injury that he suffered, you know, back at Leon, um, I think this is the best thing that could have happened to him, uh, for, from a personal, personal career standpoint, he is pretty much, he's not necessarily near his goal assist contribution, um, total from last season, but right now he's at 10, whereas last year he totaled 16, and we are we still have a long period of the season to go, assuming that the season is able to be completed. But he's already passed his expected goals and expected assist tally for for the season. So he is he's having a great season. And Saul, what what more is there to say about someone who in an Atletico midfield um, seemingly doesn't know how to get the the ball forward all the time is able to do the same thing that Nabil Fakir does. He dances past players. And he makes a difference when it matters most. The Liverpool tie is just the tip of the iceberg for what Saul gets to do on a regular basis in La Liga. His ability to make tackles, um, defensive tackles when needed most, make them properly, and then turn around and run the other direction like nothing happened and eventually contribute to a key pass, an assist, or a goal. Saul is literally everywhere. Like he runs like it's nobody's business and i think the fact that city wanted him like so recently as of uh, i think it was last summer for like 150 million shows exactly what value he provides to this atletico team so those those two i really could not pick between yeah i think that i i think i've grown to enjoy uh Saul's game more and more because there's there's so much nuance to it he's not just not you you don't look at him and, and you're expecting him to be like a number ten or, or anything anything like that. He's he is a very well rounded midfielder, and there aren't a lot of those. Um, I don't think we see a lot of those anymore. Really, the, the guys that really can do both sides of the game and do it effectively, and and um, you know it, it's it's easier to focus on one side, obviously. But I think true number eights, as we call them, you know. The, players central central midfielder midfield players who will go box to, box to box and and provide both sides um 
both types of effort, uh, attacking wise and defensively, there aren't a lot of them. And, and, and someone who could do it at his level is v- very rare right now. And, and, and it is the reason why his value, his actual transfer value is so high. Um, so I love that pick. And then the Fakir thing, he's just, his career has just been fascinating for me, especially when you look at the, the fact that he, it was 2018, 2018 summer that he was so close to joining Liverpool. And, and then, um, you know, a medical, a medical, uh, thing comes up where, you know, they realize that, that his, his knees aren't as stable as they would have liked, they would like them to be for, for such an investment. And, and then he ends up going to Betis and, and, um, and he's just still looked, uh, close to as good as that player that we saw at Lyon. Um, right. And, and I'm really interested to see where his career goes for the next couple of years, because he, he is still 26. And, and I think he's got at least one, he's got, I think he's got one big move left in him um, to, to a club. So, and, and I'm very interested, interested to see who is that team that takes a chance that takes a chance on him. Yeah, no, for sure. I think he has one more big move in him too. I genuinely don't know who that team is. It could be Liverpool again, quite frankly. I think there are a lot of teams that would love to have a player like Fekir. But if I had to put money on it, I don't know if it would be in in the Premier League, honestly. I think it might be in France again for a bigger team, or it might be for a bigger team in Spain. I I just have a feeling it probably wouldn't be the Premier League. But quite frankly, I have no idea. It could really be anyone. So I wish the best of luck to both of them. But yeah, Saul and Nabil Fakir, you have me going with a 4-4-3 formation instead of a 4-3-3 and just having an extra player because I I could not decide between the two of them. So I'm going to leave them in. So my midfield is Odegaard. cop out. (laughs) (laughs) I I genuinely, I can't can't choose between them. This man lives on the fucking fence, dude. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm, I'm actually sitting on it. Yeah, I, I'm sorry. I can't. So it's going to be Odegaard, Saul, Nabil Fakir, and Tony Cruz as my midfield. So I guess there's only one last thing to do, but um, but do my, my, my attackers, I guess. I mean, this was the easiest part of the, um, the team of the year, so I'll be quite blatant. Um, there is only one spot that was really up for grabs. Um, Rihanna and I were talking about the other two spots who of course go to Lionel Messi and Kareem Benzema, um, two players that have topped the scoring charts, um, this year from beginning to now Messi on 19 goals, Benzema on 14 and Messi on 12 assists, um, on top of that as well. Um, but the, (laughs) that, that's a given, right? We knew Messi was always going to be in every team of the year, essentially until he retires or leaves. Um, Benzema has picked up the mantle ever since Cristiano left um, and has consistently scored those goals. Consistently is also a relative term um, considering the consistency for Ronaldo versus the consistency for Benzema is very different. Um, But for him, he has done very well this season with the exception of the last maybe month and a half. But there is one last spot, of course, that's up in the four, three, three, or I could leave it at four, four, two, but I'm going to do four, three, three. Um, this was this was tough. I will admit that um, there were three players essentially that were up for for this spot. Um, first one being Gerard Moreno, um, of course from Villarreal, who we've talked about a lot. A player that 
has really been on Spain's radar uh, for breaking into that that mold. Um, the second player is Lucas Ocampos from Sevilla, a player who's on 10 goals already for the season. Um, and quite frankly, for a team that hasn't been able to generate a lot of firepower until recently, um, has stepped up into that into that role. And then there's one other player, um, Chimi Avila from Osasuna, who unfortunately tore his ACL about, gosh, I want to say it was two months ago now, um, but was on track to really have an incredible rest of the season. Um, he had already scored, I think it was nine goals. Yeah, nine goals before he tore his ACL. So I'm sure he would have had more by now. But my choice for that third spot is another Sevilla player in Lucas Acampos. And the main reason why I chose him over any of the other two was he is essentially single-handedly saved Lopetegui's job. What I mean by that is there are times where the Sevilla fan base has really been fed up with Lopetegui and this team, but somehow timing always works out that (laughs) I don't know how, but Lucas Ocampos as technical and, and gifted as a player as he is. I mean, we saw it, especially in that Atletico game most recently. Um, he always scores the goals at the right time. Like whenever things are up against the wall, he is always, always there um, stepping up when, when needed. A thing that Luke de Jong has not necessarily done, excuse me, all season. And so almost solely for that reason, I had to give him that credit over Gerard Moreno. Um, and also, I think he has more goals than Gerard Moreno by, by I believe one. So yeah, Lucas Ocampos for me was that third player that I'm actually going to include. And I think if you ask a lot of other people that watch La Liga consistently, consistently, um, they're not, they're probably not going to agree with you. Actually, Gerard Moreno has, I think one more goal, but I'm still sticking with Lucas Ocampos as my third player for the forward line in La Liga team of the year. Yeah, that is a bit of a, a surprise for me. I would have, I would have probably gone for Moreno because just because of what he gives, what I feel like he gives the team outside of not just goals, but you know, he he's yeah. over over uh, over Ocampos in terms of you know chances created, in terms of expected assists, um, in terms of key passes, just total key passes and stuff. I I I, I personally I think he gives a bit more. Um, in terms of link-up play, than than Ocampos, but I'm not going to argue too much on that. But I, I would have personally gone with Moreno. That's totally fair. It was it was quite frankly very tough to choose between those two. So I get why a lot of people would choose Moreno. Um, but I think as of late, because of the position that Sevilla are in and trying to find goals, um, I think Lucas Ocampos for me is going to be my inclusion. But Gerard Moreno easily could be a, a great choice for, for people as well. So that actually wraps up my team of the year. The only thing I wanted to say on top of that, um, well, there were three honorable mentions that I wanted to throw out um, from La Liga this season. First being um, Alex Isak from Real Madrid, Daniel Was from Valencia, and Emerson from Real Batiste. Three players, very, very young players, um, who are having standout seasons and stepping into their respective positions. Isaka forward, um, who's been linking very well with Odegaard, uh, Was for Valencia, who has seemingly the pace of Bolt. 
Um, and Emerson, who is a very, very tough, rugged, physical, but also technical player for Betis. Um, Wasson, Emerson, of course, right backs for their respective teams. But those are my honorable mentions. And yeah, that's my La Liga team of the year. Wow. So just so we have a, a little recap, because obviously we've been talking for a while here. Um, so my full team, just want to run this back. So my full team of the year for England was Allison at goalkeeper. Andrew Robertson and Trent Alexander-Arnold as my fullbacks, Harry Maguire, Virgil van Dyke as my centerbacks. In central midfield, it was Wilfred Ndidi, Kevin De Bruyne, Jordan Henderson. And up top, it was Mo Salah, Sadio Mane, and Jamie Vardy. And Ellis, would you like to give everyone a quick recap of your of your full team? Absolutely. My 4-3 slash 4-3 <laughs> which is a weird sentence. Yeah, um, at least his abomination <laughs> of a fucking team. Yeah, please tell me. My, my cop out of the team. Oh my God. Starting with Jan Oblak in goal, going from left to right in Sergio Regulon, um, Rafael Varane, Gerard Piquet, and Jesus Navas making up my back line. Midfielders in Martin Odegaard, Saul slash Nabil Fakir, and Tony Cruz. And my forwards, of course, Kareem Benzema, Ocampos, and Lionel Messi. That's well done. That's well done there, Elias. The, the one thing that I actually kind of forgot about, um, do you have a manager of the year? I, 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 For me, I think England, it's fairly obvious it should be, it should be Jurgen Klopp. But I, I think there should definitely be some votes thrown towards Brendan Rodgers and, um, and Chris Wilder at Sheffield United. So but I would go for Jurgen Klopp for England. And I feel like it's a little bit of a tougher decision for you, for Spain, especially because there is no complete standout team. And then also you have a handful of, of overachievers. I mean, same in England, but especially in your top five or six or top five, really. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's tough. I haven't thought about a potential manager of the year. Um, the, I guess the ones that kind of stand out to me, um, it, 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 oh my God, I don't know how to necessarily like qualify this. Um, but Osasuna have had a great season. I mean, they're a mid table team and they just were promoted. That's the one team that kind of stands out to me. They're, I think in 11th place. Um, yeah, they're in 11th place. Osasuna stands out to me. So, um, Arasate, um, is generally been able to keep up this team. Um, and that's in large part due to their, their home record. Um, beyond that team of the season or excuse me, manager of the season. Yeah. No one's really had like a specific standout season other than maybe Bordelas from Hitafe, um, who seemingly pissed a lot of people off in Spain, um, cause it was playing style, but Bordelas by keeping Hitafe up in, in the top five, uh, is that's in and of itself an incredible feat. So I guess, yeah, border loss might, might actually be my, my pick or yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll stick with border loss. All right. Well, I think that's just about all for our team of the years right now. Now the next thing is what do we do going forward now with these, with these episodes, right? Elias. Um, I, I think we've, we've talked and uh, even over the weekend, Elias and I have just coincidentally had watched, some old um, soccer games. I, I yesterday rewatched, or actually, I'd never even got to watch it 
in live the first time, but I watched a full replay of the 2006 World Cup semifinal between Germany and Italy, which has the famous De Grosso goal at the at the end of of extra time to put um, to put Italy through to the World Cup final. That game was played in in Dortmund. Um, crazy atmosphere. I, I told Elias a bit about it last night. And then Elias, you watched yeah. the 2011 Champions League final between Barca and, and Manchester United, right? Yeah, I watched that because Bleacher Report was streaming it live the other day. Um, and I think it was Friday night. And so, of course, uh, that was, I mean, for me, from a personal level, the game that made me a Barcelona fan and put the team on the map for me. Um, and that was actually when I started watching soccer as much as I have now. Um, so that game means a lot to me. And when I saw a streaming live, I was like, well, I'm not going to turn that down. So watch the the full thing when, what a game that was. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think for us going forward, our tentative tentative plan is for us to each watch a game, um, watch one game, to, not necessarily together, but find a game um, from the past for us to watch. And then, and um, hopefully we can get it a friend or two on, on our, on some upcoming episodes who also watch the same game with us or um, same game as us. And we can come on and shoot the shit about that, about that game. And, and uh, for a little, for an episode. And um, I think that's, I think with, with uh, the lack of, of actual soccer going on where we're going to have to kind of jump into a time machine and, and just try to find some great, some good games to watch and, and, Hopefully they're games that we very barely remember or, you know, or famous games that we were not, we were just not really conscious about um, when we were, because we were too young or something. But um, I think going forward, that's what's, that's how we're going to try to keep ourselves sane with this podcast. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I mentioned the 98 and 02 World Cup, that infamous Brazil period where they were so strong. Um that's what I'm going to be focusing my energy on, but we will be bringing you guys content over the next several weeks for however long this lasts. Hopefully it's not much longer than the best case scenario. Um, if ideally shorter, but it looks like we'll be in this for a while. So we'll be, we'll be back with a lot of content. Looking forward to it. Yeah. With that, we'll go ahead and wrap up. Thank you guys for listening and stay tuned for hopefully a lot more soccer content. Thanks, guys. Stay safe.